Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode of Rudder Dead is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. Looking for the perfect gift for book lovers in your life this holiday season? Give the gift of TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations as diverse and interesting as readers are. Choose from plans that allow your loved ones to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email as a one-time gift or a year-long subscription and sit back while our bibliologists do the rest. When your recipient redeems their gift, they'll complete a profile to tell TBR about their reading preferences and what they're looking for, and they can even connect their Goodreads account. Then we'll match them up with a bibliologist who will handpick recommendations just for them. Gifts start at just $16, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so when you treat someone's shelf, you're supporting an indie too. Visit mytbr.co slash gift to sign up today and give the bookish folks in your life a personalized bookish experience they can enjoy without leaving their home. That's mytbr.co slash gift. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 89, and we are recording on Monday, November 2nd. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rincey. How are you? Oh, you know, holding on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a mood and a half. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's weird. Like, it, everything right now is weird, but I feel like recording this now is especially re- weird because it's going to be coming out after, you know, big events in the United States. And it's it's a weird time to just be, like, recording a podcast and whatnot. But beyond all of that, I just wanted to say, holy cow, 89, episode 89. <laughs> I know! I was just thinking that when I was reading that off, I was like, 89, is that right? And I'm like, oh, I guess it is. That's wild. Yeah, and I mean, I know we do this every two weeks, so it gets stretched out a little bit, but we are going to be coming up on our 100th episode. Oh my gosh, we've been doing this for a very long time, but it does honestly, it doesn't feel like it. I no, will 100% not at all. It, it does not feel like it at all. Yeah, so we'll we'll have to think of something really, really awesome for our 100th episode, which, you know, will be several months down the road, but we're going to have to start thinking about that because 100 episodes. Yeah, that's Holy something I would, I would much rather be thinking about that than everything else. <laughs> oh my gosh, no kidding. And I, I will also point out it's even weirder because... Normally, because, you know, we normally record this on a Tuesday, but we're recording this on Monday because you have very selflessly volunteered to work the polls tomorrow. Yep. (laughs) And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to concentrate on anything (laughs) come past five o'clock. So I so we're doing this a day early. But yeah, it's really weird to be recording this the day before the U.S. election. And knowing that everyone's going to be listening to this three days after the election. Yeah, so hopefully, uh, you know, whatever happens has already happened and 
you know, whatever you're feeling, this can hopefully just be a bright spot in your week. Yeah, that's that's about all I can say, because I don't even know what Friday's going to look like at this point. You know, I just everything changes on can just change on a dime so fast. So I'm just like, okay, hopefully everyone's doing okay on Friday. You know, hopefully this will be this will be a nice little spot in your week. And we'll just we'll regroup and see and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. So before we jump into the episode, I have our first sponsor, and this episode is sponsored by the audiobook edition of The Gift of the Magpie by Donna Andrews. Meg's hopes for a relatively peaceful, if busy, Christmas vanishes when the magpie that has been bringing her bits of tinsel and costume jewelry shows up with a gift that may hold the clue to solving a crime. So this is the 28th audiobook and the seventh Christmas mystery in the Meg Langslo series. Uh, The Gift of the Magpie is another wonderful, merry and fun book from New York Times bestselling author Donna Andrews. And the audiobook is read by Bernadette Dune. And so if you are someone who enjoys cozy mysteries, if you want something like holiday specific, for this holiday season that's coming up. And maybe you just want something that will make you happy and feel good, but still be like a good mystery to read. This might be worth picking up. It's full of intrigue. And this Christmas mystery will take readers home uh, to where the suspense falls as thick as the snow. And so I feel like this, again, just would be a really nice audiobook to have going on in the background, maybe as you're putting up Christmas decorations or holiday decorations, or like spending time like baking or something like that fun indoors. Um, So if you are interested in picking that up, you can buy the audiobook edition of The Gift of the Magpie by Donna Andrews now wherever audiobooks are sold. And we thank them so much for sponsoring this episode. As a real quick side note before we jump in, when you mentioned Christmas trees, that reminded me a couple days ago, Blaine mentioned that this will be the first Christmas with our new cat Houdini and him with the Christmas tree. And I just went, oh, no, (laughs) because he's three years old and he has so much energy and he's going to be climbing that tree. Yeah. Because I've always, my my cats before, they were, you know, they were middle-aged, they were, they were older, they were calm, they just liked to sleep under the Christmas tree, they didn't play with the ornaments, they didn't climb the tree. And so now I'm just, like, filled with dread at what what is going to happen this holiday season, so. I have no good advice because I don't have a cat, I'm sorry. Yeah. My my sister can't even put up a Christmas tree with her cats. It's just impossible. So, well, if anything funny happens, I'll post photos on Twitter. So, <laughs> All right. So back to mysteries and thrillers. So if you are a new listener to the show, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. We are so delighted to have everyone putting us in their ears every two weeks to listen to us talk about mysteries and thrillers and true crime and just about anything that falls under that mysterious dark umbrella. So if you're a longtime listener of the show, you know what what comes next. We always put out a call at the beginning of the episode for listeners to contact us with ideas for future episodes, whether it's 
a subgenre that you've always been interested in exploring, or if you're looking for read-alike recommendations, or if there's some news item that we didn't talk about on the show that you think is really interesting, whatever the case may be. If you have thoughts about something that would be interesting to hear us talk about, please do let us know. We, at this point, I feel like over half of our episodes now are suggested by listeners. And it's a really fun way for us to broaden our own perspectives and maybe try new books or authors or subgenres that we may not have discovered before. And it really helps us plan future episodes because, of course, we want to continue putting out content that everyone wants to listen to. So we will have our contact information at the end of the show, but we always put out this little note at the beginning to to get those juices flowing, get those gears turning. And even if you don't have an idea, but you just want to reach out and say hi, we love that too. We love hearing from everyone. It just makes us so happy. And with that, I guess we'll go ahead and jump into our news section. Although there's not really a whole lot going on in this first week in November, but maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, things I think are starting to wind down for the year, so to speak. So yeah, first up, we have exciting news for Rachel Housel Hall. She posted on her Twitter account that her books, Land of Shadows, Skies of Ash, Trail of Echoes, and City of Saviors, which is all part of the Detective Eloise Norton series, have been optioned by Lionsgate Television. And so that is super, super exciting. Uh, This series is really fun, really great uh, mystery series if you haven't checked it out already. Um, And so we are very excited for Rachel Hall for getting her series picked up for uh, potentially coming on on television. Unlike a lot of detective stories, this follows a female African-American homicide detective, um, and it is based in Los Angeles. So hopefully this actually gets uh, good writers, good directors, and can get picked up to be an actual series on TV or a streaming service that we can all watch. All right. And then um, an extra bit of adaptation news is we have the first trailer for the film adaptation of The Drive by Jane Harper, which if you've listened to the show before, you probably know that we love Jane Harper. She is one of the best read-alike authors that we have found a ton of French. And if you've listened to this show, you know how much we love ton of French. So we were really excited when we heard that The Drive was going to be adapted into a movie. Eric Bana is the main, plays the main character, which I am also super excited about because I love Eric Bana. And so now we have the first trailer. And I don't normally watch trailers, but I, for some reason, watch this one. And so I can actually speak that, you know, the trailer looks really interesting. It doesn't give away a whole lot in terms of the plot, but if you're looking for atmosphere, like the trailer, I think, really hints at the the very atmospheric setting of the book because it takes place in Australia and it takes place in the middle of a massive drought. And I mean, it's called the dry. And like the entire time that you're reading the book, you just feel the oppressive dry heat of Australia. And I think the trailer really hints at that. Well, it's definitely intriguing. I'm sure there's going to be plenty more trailers where that came from. But if you are excited about this adaptation like we are, make sure to check out the trailer. Yeah, I feel like Eric Bana is also just like really good casting for yes. this. Like not even just even beyond the fact that he's like obviously a really good actor, but like. And Australian. Yes, exactly. But also like I feel like that's really, really good casting. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the that was one of those updates where as soon as I saw it, I went, that's it. 
that's brilliant. They picked the right one. So yeah, I'm really, really excited to see it play out. And yeah, really hoping they do the book justice because that book was amazing. Agreed. All right. Speaking of amazing books. Ooh, I like that segue. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, If you aren't aware, the Goodreads Choice Awards for 2020 have begun. And so if you aren't aware of the Goodreads Choice Awards, basically the way it works is like, for two weeks at a time, I think, uh, they have like voting rounds. And so the first opening round is now available. So they have categories, you know, for fiction, nonfiction, historical fiction, fantasy, romance, and of course, a mystery and thriller section, which this is the first year where I've seen the mystery thriller section and actually been excited. Uh, There's so many good books on here. Out of the 15 books I counted, I've read six of them. And I think like another five of them are ones that I've been wanting to read anyway. So honestly, like this selection is like 100% in our wheelhouse. So it has like Riley Sager, Ruth Wares, Simone St. James' new book, The Sundown Motel. uh, But it also has great Newer writers like S.A. or not newer, but getting more attention now. S.A. Cosby's book, Blacktop Wasted. Uh, Rachel Housel Hall, speaking of her again, and now she's gone is on there. Winter Counts with which Katie and I both really, really loved. So I am like really excited to see uh, who ends up moving ahead in these rounds because this is a really good selection of books. I legitimately haven't voted yet because I don't know which one to pick yet uh, because there are so many books on here that I really enjoyed reading this year. So yeah, if you are interested in checking that out, Goodreads Choice Awards 2020 is now live. Yeah, I echo that. I have not, I mean, I have not been up on my reading this year for obvious reasons, but I've read several of the books on there and they were all really solid picks. And then like, over half of the other books, I'm like, oh, yeah, that one was on my reading list, too. So I'm on, I'm actually looking at this going like, oh, yeah, I need to add that one to my Goodreads list. So yeah, this is the first year in a while where I've looked at the nominees and actually, like you said, been excited because a lot of times, it just feels very predictable, very boring, you know, all the big names are on there. and You're just like, eh, okay, whatever. But yeah, this, these picks are really, really solid. So definitely check out the list. And the other genres too, you know, obviously we we love books of all stripes, but definitely mystery and thriller gets two thumbs up from us. All right. And with that, we can jump into our main topic for this episode. So obviously, like we mentioned, it is November 2nd. And so a lot of people kind of do this thing called Nonfiction November, where they focus on reading more nonfiction in the month of November. And so Katie and I basically decided to do that ourselves as well and to pick up some nonfiction books for this episode. I feel like for I mean, obviously, both of us love like nonfiction, true crime, all that stuff. But I feel like I haven't read as much of it this year as I have wanted to. And so I kind of really liked this episode topic also because it gave me a good excuse to pick up some books that have been like sitting on my to read shelf for a while. Yeah, I agree. I've definitely watched a lot of nonfiction true crime this year. When Netflix, I mean, well, with Tiger King, let's go all the way back to March. So I watched Tiger King in like three days. And then the new Netflix Unsolved Mystery episodes, they just released their second set of six episodes. And so Blaine and I just tore through those and Cold Case Files. And then recently, I just watched the 
documentary, I think it was added like a month ago, An American Murder, which is about the recent, or, and of course, I can't remember the the family's name, but it was a horrible story, I remember this, of the husband who he killed his wife and their two daughters. And the documentary is is brilliant. It is heart-wrenching, and you will probably end up sobbing like a baby through a good chunk of it. I did, which I wasn't entirely expecting. But yeah, that that, that documentary, it was very well done. Um, but yeah, it made me cry. But anyway, I've been watching a lot of it. But I was I was excited to actually, you know, jump in and read some. And I actually, I want you to start off because I've had this book on my TBR for a while, the one that you picked. And I'm very interested to hear what you thought of it. Yeah, so I picked up American Sherlock, Murder, Forensics, and the Birth of American CSI by Kate Winkler Dawson. And so this is a nonfiction book. It's kind of like a history book, history combined with biography about this person named Edward Oscar Heinrich, who was basically America's first forensic scientist. And he was like dubbed by newspapers and stuff like that as like America's Sherlock Holmes, because he was like one of the first people in the United States to start using like hard sciences, or I shouldn't say using hard sciences like that, but he started using like forensic evidence in ways uh, to prove crimes and stuff like that. So it was legitimately a really, really good book, really, really fascinating. The way she structures the book is like each chapter or like a couple of chapters will cover a specific case that Edward Oscar Heinrich worked on and, you know, may have like testified for and stuff like that. And basically the groundbreaking techniques that he created um, or started utilizing in order to prove someone's guilt or innocence. And it's really fascinating because there's so much stuff that like, reading this, you're like, how did anyone solve crimes before this? Because <laughs> it's like kind of appalling. <laughs> you know, there is John Mulaney has a bit in one of his earlier stand-ups where he asks the exact same question. He's like, how did anyone solve a crime before DNA? It's like the police detectives walking around. It's like, it's like, oh, there's a pool of the killer's blood on the floor. They're going, gross, mop it up. Yeah, like it It sounds like ridiculous, like that John Mulaney skit, but honestly, it's not that far off. <laughs> Because and she like does a really good job of providing that contrast. And she also like provides nice contrast between people who are considered sort of like colleagues, I suppose you could say of his or contemporaries who are like doing different techniques at the same time and showing like how his ended up being kind of like the superior one. Um, And it's also kind of wild kind of following all of this and seeing how he basically developed all these techniques that are now like tried and true parts of any investigation and how like his name is basically completely unknown until recently. And it's really, really fascinating to read. Another thing that I really enjoyed about this book is that she doesn't just talk about this in like a positive light. Um, She also talks about how like there's a lot of things that is used in forensic science for like decades and decades that are flawed and the flaws also came from this man as well and so she doesn't just like paint him as this like amazing perfect person who is just like Sherlock Holmes and solved all these crimes like she creates this really interesting like well-rounded view of who this person was as a human being but yeah if you are someone who's like really into kind of like the investigations the forensic stuff he was like one of the first people to start doing things like using blood splatter analysis. Um, And they talk about the development of the polygraph tests and using fingerprints, like even fingerprints as an idea um, is considered so like 
foundational to any person who like knows anything about mysteries and solving crimes and stuff like that. But he was one of the first people to start using that in the courtroom. And he had to kind of like explain to jurors how fingerprints are unique. And even though at that time, like they didn't have concrete proof that everyone had individual fingerprints um he had to like explain that like it was very unlikely that if you found fingerprints of a person at the scene of the crime that anyone else would have that exact set of fingerprints and stuff like that so it's really really fascinating in my opinion and she does a good job of like linking it to specific cases so it has that sort of true crime element to it but also like pulling in all of these science and facts and stuff like that it's also like a pretty quick read like i think the book itself is maybe 300 pages and there were like it includes like photographs and stuff like that of him and some of the other people mentioned in the book. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed this a whole lot. I read it pretty quickly. It's really well done. I definitely recommend it. Uh, so if you are someone, especially if you're someone who like might feel like you aren't someone who typically reads nonfiction, I feel like this is one that has a pretty broad appeal based on the way it's written. So I Definitely recommended. And again, it's called American Sherlock, Murder, Forensics, and the Birth of American CSI by Kate Winkler Dawson. All right. So for my book, I for actually, I think this might be the first true crime book that I've read that's actually it's an anthology. It's a collection of essays, um, but it's called Unspeakable Acts, True Tales of Crime, Murder, Deceit, and Obsession by Sarah Weinman. Well, she edited the book. The title is actually a little misleading because it sounds like, oh, these are 13 stories of like 13 different true crime cases. And it's really much more a collection of critical essays about true crime. There are some essays at the beginning that talk about specific cases, but overall, like the purpose of the book that she mentions in her editor's note at the beginning is looking at the true crime boom of basically the last five years, basically since the serial podcast was released, that kind of kicked off this avalanche of true crime podcasts, documentaries, books, like that really put true crime back on the map and also gave it kind of a an elevated status. It became a little bit more highbrow, where before true crime was kind of like relegated to like tabloids and mass market paperbacks that you would pick up at the grocery store kind of thing. But with this collection, she gets a really diverse group of authors who have submitted essays and articles to different publications over the last five years. And like I said, some of them do look at individual cases, but some of them also just take a critical look at like, what does it mean to consume true crime? And what does that say about us? What are our moral obligations when it comes to writing and consuming true crime, basically? there it's It's a really, really interesting and diverse perspective that she that she provides here. So full disclosure, I did not read all 13 essays yet, because the world is a dumpster fire. My brain just does not want to focus on reading at all. But I did read probably about half of them. And the the book is set up in three different sections. So the first section is your tradition, more traditional, like true crime narrative. 
where they talk about, you know, a specific case. And not all of the cases are modern. There's one that talks about the shooting that happened in Austin in the 1960s, where a gunman went up into the tower and started taking out college students. And so that that's a really that's a really interesting article because it t- it follows the story of one of the survivors of that of that shooting spree and it really and it really kind of dives into how those like there just wasn't language for that type of tragedy no one knew how to talk about it no one knew like what assistance to provide to survivors so people just did not talk about it at all it was just kind of like oh they referred to it as the accident and no one ever discussed it and so it kind of looks at the ramifications of that and there's the first article in the collection was actually one that i purposely skipped because i have read it already um called dd wanted her daughter to be sick and this is this was originally posted on BuzzFeed about Dee Dee and Gypsy Rose Blanchard, which was all over the news a few years ago when it came to light that Dee Dee Blanchard was she was making her daughter sick or making her believe that she that she was sick, and her daughter Gypsy Rose ended up murdering her to is as she claimed to escape that kind of abuse. And so that that one is probably the one that most people are familiar with in this collection. But the second section talks about true crime in a more meta way, like how it's influenced pop culture and whatnot. Um, there's an essay about the our the Americans' obsession with Ted Bundy and what that says about us. Um, there's another one that, like I mentioned before, talks about the ethics of true crime reporting, true crime consuming, what what do we mean when we say highbrow versus lowbrow true crime and what the distinctions are and, you know, does, you know, what what does this say? Does it actually bring justice? You know, it's it's a really thought-provoking essay. In fact, these are the kinds of essays where I'm like, I read through them f- once and then I'm like I want to go back and reread them again because there's so much there that it's like I feel like I need to be taking notes in the margins. <laughs> I feel like I'm back in college and you know just annotating all of my books. And then the third section is about true crime and social justice and it looks at some of the bigger more systemic issues at play with true crime because even when you focus on one specific occurrence it's always part of a larger narrative of systemic oppression or police violence or misogyny or whatever the case may be there's always something ha- there's always something driving it you know kind of behind the scenes and so the third section looks at that and the essay that i read from that collection was about what happens to gunshot victims. And it talks to the head of surgery at a hospital in Philadelphia, or head of head of trauma surgery or something like that. And she talks about what, you know, what happens to a person's body when they get shot. Because she says, that's, you know, in all of our discussion about gun violence and stuff like that, that's the part that we don't see. And she said, if, you know, if people saw what you know, what actually happens to the human body when when they're shot. She said, 
there would probably be a much different discourse happening. Because she's like, it's horrifying. And it's really traumatic. And But she's like, we're not going to have meaningful conversations or meaningful gun reform until we force people to look at it and be like, hey, this is what these policies are doing to people. So that was a really, really interesting read. And it just... Yeah, just really thought-provoking about this larger issue of gun violence and access to guns and all ki- and trauma and just all kinds of stuff. It obviously not an easy read, but very very thought-provoking. So, yeah, this book is just like it just covers so many different topics and it's just so, it's just so interesting and because they are individual essays this was great for my limited attention span because i could knock out one or two essays in a sitting and feel like i accomplished something like i said my my brain is not set up for long reading bouts right now so i can read you know some of the shorter essays maybe like 20 25 pages i can read that in about 20 30 minutes And I'm like, okay, I read that, I made progress, and my brain is now done. So if you are interested in just trying a little sampling of recent true crime writing, or if you want to get a broader perspective on some of these larger issues, or if you're like me and just can't concentrate on anything, this would be a really, really good book to pick up. So it's called Unspeakable Acts, True Tales of Crime, Murder, Deceit, and Obsession, and it's edited by Sarah Weinman. Okay, yeah, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I was when I was talking about it, I'm like, I'm probably selling Rincey on this. Oh, 100%, yes. <laughs> all right, so if you, I mean, true crime and nonfiction, all of that stuff, that casts such a wide net. So if you have any suggestions of your own that you really, really enjoyed, or if... Yeah, if you if you just want to talk true crime and this type of nonfiction writing, hit us up because even though we haven't read a ton of it recently, like this is some of the most I think some of for me, some of the most impactful books that I've ever read in my life have been nonfiction true crime reporting. All right, and then before we jump into new releases, I have our second sponsor for the episode, which is VJ Books, an indie bookstore carrying books signed by your favorite authors. So if you are looking for a great gift for your favorite book lover, you should definitely check out this bookstore. With most author events canceled by COVID, there's still an easy way to get autographed copies of your favorite books. VJ Books works closely with over a thousand authors and publishing houses to offer signed copies of best-selling titles, and they have a huge backlist of books from authors like John Grisham, David Baldacci, Clive Cussler, Tana French, Louise Penny, Janet Ivanovich, Kate Atkinson, Need I Go On?, <laughs> And many, many other authors. They have been family-owned and operated since 1998 and offer a no-questions-asked guarantee on every book that they sell. You can shop online at vjbooks.com. That's V as in Virginia, J as in John, books.com. And you can use the code BOOKRIOT for 25% off books that are not already on sale. So like I said, they have a huge backlist of titles, they have new releases, and this would make the perfect gift for the book lover in your life, even if that person is yourself. 
And they offer free gift wrapping, so added bonus for your holiday shopping. So again, that is VJ Books, and you can visit them at vjbooks.com. And we thank them very much for sponsoring this episode. I am so intrigued by this. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, what a perfect way to get some of your holiday shopping done. Honestly, even again, like it says, if it's for yourself. (laughs) Yeah, and I will say I have not... I don't believe I've shopped from them before, but I have given signed books as gifts. I One time I got Blaine, we were dating at the time, we were not yet engaged or married, but I got him a signed copy of Gone Girl for Valentine's Day, (laughs) because that's how my twisted mind works. And he loved it! So definitely think about going the signed book route. All right, so we're going to be jumping into new releases now, and we just happened to break it up where Katie picked two that are out this week, and I picked two that are out next week. So Katie will start things off with the two that she picked. All right, I'm just going to keep on going. So (laughs) the first book that I picked is called No Place to Hide by Opa Heisey Wise, and this book comes out on November 3rd. So by the time you're listening to this, this book will already be available to purchase. And this is a riveting page turner about a woman caught in the crosshairs of an agribusiness's corporate assassin. So against hope, Smythe Windwalker Daniels' anonymity is compromised and a credible threat has been made against her life. As the threats ratchet up, she feels she has no place to hide. The danger impacts not only her life, but the lives of those around her. She reluctantly accepts the FBI's protection, hoping to testify and bring a promise of justice to a community. So Smythe is a character with vision and fire. And from a young age, she was discriminated against as a mixed race girl in a predominantly white neighborhood. And she travels to Hawaii to escape the corporate rat race only to get entangled in a pesticide poisoning cover up attempt by a mega corporation. And while she's on the run, she still seeks to find meaning in events that now threaten her life. And as she uses her past experience to find meaning in her present, she begins to see beauty in the midst of chaos, but the harder she tries to hide, the more difficult it is to survive. So I picked this book because, actually mainly because of a conversation that I had with a patron a couple weeks ago who told me that we had too many we had too many mystery and thriller books written by women. And of course, that set off flames on the sides of my face. So I picked this because this idea of a corporate assassin, that sounds like it would be the subject of, you know, a mega best-selling male author's book. But here we have a woman giving it a diverse spin. So again, that is called No Place to Hide by Opa Heisey Wise, and that is out on November 3rd. And then my second book is a sci-fi thriller. So if you're looking to mix it up, this one will definitely fit the bill. So the human population in this book is now a minority. They've been decimated by plague. Okay, maybe not the best book to read right now. But anyway, decimated by plague, human population is now a minority. Robots that are actually complex AIs that are almost indistinguishable from humans are the ruling majority. Nine months ago, in a controversial move, the robot government opened a series of preserves, designated areas where humans can choose to live without robot interference. Now the preserves face their first challenge. Someone has been murdered. 
The chief of police, Jesse Lawton, on the Sokar Preserve is assigned to the case, and he fears that the factions that were opposed to the preserves will use the crime as evidence that the new system does not work. As he digs for information, robots in the outside world start turning up dead from bad drug-like programs that may have originated on Sokar land. And when Lawton learns that his murder victim was a hacker who wrote drug programs, it appears that the two cases might be linked. Soon, it's clear that the entire preserve system is in danger of collapsing. Lawton's former partner, a robot named Kier, arrives to assist on the case, and they soon uncover shocking secrets revealing that life on the preserve is not as peaceful as its human residents claim. But in order to protect humanity's new way of life, Lawton must solve this murder before it's too late. So, if you are a fan of movies and shows like Blade Runner or Westworld, this would be a really interesting book to pick up. So again, that is called The Preserve by Ariel S. Winter, and that comes out on November 3rd. So both of my picks are nonfiction picks, actually, and they both come out on Tuesday, November 10th. The first one I have is We Keep the Dead Close, A Murder at Harvard and a Half Century of Silence by Becky Cooper. I am very excited to read this book. Uh, So to set the stage, it is 1969, the height of counterculture and the year universities would seek to curb the unruly spectacle of student protest. The winter That winter, Harvard would begin the tumultuous process of merging with Radcliffe, its all-female sister school, and the year that Jane Britton, an ambitious 23-year-old graduate student at Harvard's anthropology department and daughter of Radcliffe Vice President J. Boyd Britton, would be found bludgeoned to death in her Cambridge, Massachusetts apartment. Forty years later, Becky Cooper is a curious undergrad, and she will hear the first whispers of this story. In the first telling, the body was nameless. The story was this. A Harvard student had had an affair with her professor, and the professor had murdered her in the Peabody Museum of of Archaeology and Ethnology because she threatened to talk about the affair. Though the rumor proved false, uh, the story that unfolds is one that Cooper would follow for 10 years and is even more complex. It's a tale about gender inequality in academia, a quote-unquote cowboy culture among empowered male elites, the silencing effect of institutions, and our compulsion to rewrite the stories of female victims. So... Yeah, this sounds amazing, and I'm so excited to read it. Um, This is perfect for people who enjoy true crime stuff, but also might enjoy things that have to deal with, like the Ivy Leagues, which is me. Um, It is both a memoir as well as a true crime book, because you are obviously following Becky Cooper as she, like, finds out about what exactly happens here. Um, It's a memoir that looks at things like misogyny as well as murder, and it looks at kind of, like, these major institutions and what people are able to get away with by being associated with them. So uh, yeah, We Keep the Dead Close by Becky Cooper. Put this book on your list. It's already on mine. (laughs) Yeah, like honestly, it needs to be on everyone's. This sounds so good. (laughs) And then the other book that I have is The Woman Who Stole Vermeer, The True Story of Rose DeGale and the Russboro House Art Heist by Anthony M. Amore. So in this book, you are following the extraordinary life and crimes of heiress-turned-revolutionary Rose Dugdale, who in 1974 became the only woman to pull off a major art heist. 
In the world of crime, there exists an unusual commonality between those who steal art and those who repeatedly kill. And it's mostly that they are mainly male. But as with all things, there's always an outlier. And in this case, that is Rose Dugdale. So she was already pretty notorious. She was born into extreme wealth, but then she abandoned her life as an Oxford-trained PhD and heiress to join the cause of the Irish republicanism. And while on the surface she appears to be the British version of Patricia Hearst, she is actually anything but. She ran headfirst towards the action, spearheading the first aerial terrorist attack in British history and pulling off the biggest art theft of her time. In 1974, she led a gang into the Rustborough House in Ireland and made off with millions in prized paintings, including works by Goya, Gainsborough, Rubens, as well as Lady writing a letter with her maid by the mysterious Vermeer. And so to this day, she remains the only woman to pull off a major art heist like this. Um, so this is a biography that looks at her story from her idyllic upbringing in Devonshire and her presentation to Elizabeth II as a debutante to her university years and eventually when she sort of radicalizes and her life of crime and activism and things like that. So again, another one that sounds super fascinating. I am very intrigued by this and I think it'll be perfect for all of you people who enjoy the sort of like nonviolent true crime edge of things. So again, that book is called The Woman Who Stole Vermeer, The True Story of Rose Dugdale and the Rustboro House Art Heist by Anthony M. Amore. Yeah, that sounds so interesting. And that's another area of true crime that I find so fascinating is stuff like The Feather Thief or these books that take someone who no one has ever heard of and then like shows you exactly how bonkers their life and crimes were. Like it's just it's just like how how can we be existing in the world and not know about this person? Like seriously. Yeah, for real. All right. So this is the part where we talk about what we've finished recently, what we're starting. But right now my starting, my note says, good Lord, the election is tomorrow. I can't concentrate on anything. So we'll see what happens after tomorrow. And we'll see if I'm able to pick up a new book. I have plenty of really, really good picks to to go through at home. But yeah, my brain is just my brain's just like feed me on reality TV. Like that's all it wants right now. Yeah, I feel like I I mean, I've been reading lately, but I haven't finished anything that would be considered like mystery, true crime, thrillers, anything along those lines. So I also don't have anything to really talk about. But I was talking to Katie before this episode started that today I went to a Barnes and Noble in our area that got like the new Waterstone CEO redesign and it was amazing and it like gave me life. So I'm just here to say like if you are able to uh, safely go to a bookstore, if it's something that will bring you joy, I highly recommend it. (laughs) I need some life. (laughs) I mean, honestly, like I didn't realize like how much joy being in a book. I mean, obviously, I always knew how much joy being in a bookstore brought me, but like not being in one since February, and then like going into this one, which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, it was it was everything I needed right now. Um, but I will say I did pick up a book. Obviously, I picked up multiple books. Uh, but <laughs> one specific one that I'll, I will shout out is After She Wrote Him by Sulari Gentile. I might have mentioned this as a new release. I don't remember, actually. Um, it came out 
earlier this year. It came out in April 2020 or was like re-released in April 2020. And I've read Sulari Gentile before. She writes a historical mystery series um, that's the Roland Sinclair series. And it takes place in like the 1920s. And she's... um Australian Sri Lankan and her uh, Roland Sinclair series follows Australian characters. So it's really fantastic. And so this is something that's completely different. And it sounds really fascinating. So you are following this character named Madeline, who finds out who meets this man named Edward. And it's basically like she this person that she meets is kind of a character out of one of her books, and it's freaking her out a little bit. Um, And but also you're following the story from Edward's point of view. And so you can't really tell who's the author and who's fictional. And so it's apparently like this new murder mystery sort of twist idea. And it sounds really fascinating. And it has like really good reviews on Goodreads. So I'm very excited to check it out. Um, so again, that one is called After She Wrote Him by Sulari Gentile. All right. And with that, that is our show. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. Thank you so much to our wonderful sound editor, Jen Zink, for making us sound great every two weeks. If If you enjoyed this podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can find us and join us here in our fun little corner of mysteries, thrillers, and true crime books. If you want to send us an email with with feedback or show suggestions like Katie mentioned at the top of the episode, you can find us at redordead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincy A. And you can find me on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.